0: Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downey welcome to light the lamp here on duck stream i'm your host alexis downey coming to you from the paul korea studio you're listening to episode 74 and we are officially two weeks till the end of the nhl's regular season as of today man has it flown by but i will say i'm excited about the direction that the anaheim ducks organization is in in looking at their second half of the season that first half was certainly tough for fans. It was tough for me as well, too. But there's been a lot of bright spots in this second half of the season. And today is also a game day for the Ducks as they're taking on the Seattle Kraken tonight on the road. The fourth and final meeting with Seattle this season. Now the Kraken hold a 2-1 to advantage in the three games that the teams have played. The Ducks took opening night back on October 12th. Wow, that seems so long ago. At Honda Center, it was an overtime win, probably one of my favorite games from the season. And maybe I'm a little biased because it was opening night, but still, it was a great game. And then the last meeting was just three weeks ago in early March. So, not too long ago that the Ducks have seen the Kraken. And the rest of this road trip in total is a three game road trip with back to back games on Saturday and Sunday this weekend. Plenty of hockey for your weekend. Starting on Saturday with Edmonton and then heading to Calgary on Sunday. And it's going to be a tough road trip, to be honest, as both Seattle and Calgary are working to lock in a wild card spot in the postseason right now. The Kraken have had an interesting year. They've had a lot of ups and certainly some downs, too, in only their second year in the NHL. Seattle has 88 points right now for that first wild card spot. And then Calgary is two points out of the second one where Winnipeg currently sits with 85 points. Now the Ducks will be without Troy Terry, who is staying back to prepare for the early birth of his first child with his wife, Danny. I'm wishing them all the best, as I can imagine, that this is a very stressful time for the two of them, but also very exciting for them. The Ducks did recall defenseman Andre Schuster for the trip on Wednesday from the San Diego Gulls, and he was a part of the acquisition in the John Klingberg trade to Minnesota and a player that's very familiar for Ducks fans. He's in his third stint with the organization now, and he's played 361 games in the NHL between Anaheim and Tampa Bay with 69 total points for 11 goals and 58 assists. But let's go back to the beginning of the week for Anaheim as they did complete their eight-game homestand on Monday with the Colorado Avalanche in town and get to AD's takeaways. As we expected, Colorado was going to be a tough opponent, and that was something that head coach Dallas Aikens did not shy away from and they certainly were. The team lost 5-1, to one and Colorado just poured it on using their speed in this game. It's crazy to think when you watch them that they are still without some of their big guys. Gabriel Landeskog, Josh Manson, some of the guys that are injured and they are not in the lineup yet, they're going to probably get them back and continue to get healthy as they get into the postseason and into the playoffs. But, man, they look pretty good without them as well right now, too. Now, Jacob Silverberg had a nice backhanded pass to Derek Grant, who crashed the net and scored the first goal of the game. Sylvie told us that Grant was calling for it. Otherwise, he had thought about shooting the puck instead. But then he heard Grant and he passed it to him and certainly worked out well for the two of them. And that would be the only goal that the Ducks scored in this game. A couple of things that I did notice from Colorado in particular during that game on Monday, they're very good at creating traffic in front of the net and playing physical. And it really made it hard on John Gibson in the net when the abs were able to find their shooting lanes. It just seemed that their dominance there was very hard for the Ducks defensemen to work with. And obviously, I talked about it already. Their speed in the game is just so impressive. The Avs also really swarmed the Ducks' D zone, which they seem to kind of play patient with the Avs. And for a team that plays so fast, I understand the patience, but they almost gave Colorado too much space, and that resulted in a lot of opportunities for the Avs. Another part of this game, Trevor egress did leave it after the second period with a lower body injury. We are hoping he is all right. And another thing that the Ducks did on a positive end was they only let one goal up on Colorado's man advantage, which was great because the Avs have a phenomenal power play. And one last thing I'd like to note, the line of Max Comtois, Jacob Silverberg and Derek Grant got some really nice minutes on the ice as they were tasked with taking on the Avs top line for the first half of the game. And I thought they did a great job. I mean, it's not easy to play against some of those guys and they handled the responsibility very well. But now let's step back and look at the NHL as a whole and go coast to coast with goal calls beginning on Tuesday night with the LA Kings and Calgary flames game. It was an important two to one win for Calgary who was just two points of back of Winnipeg in the playoff wild card race in the West, as I mentioned just a short bit ago. And the win also ended LA's 12-game point streak when the Flames won it at the Saddle Dome. Walker Dewar netted the game winner in the first period as there were no goals that were scored in the second or third periods of play. The 25-year-old has points in his last five of six games played. Derek Wills of Sportsnet 960, the fan has the goal call. gets pulled over by Lucic. Here comes Lewis the other way. Lewis steps in and shoots and misses. Now Tuer, scores! Trevor Lewis's shot, missed the Kings net. Ricocheted off the end boards right out in front to Walker Dewar who whacked it into the
1: net and it's two to one flame
0: and then it was a high scoring affair on Tuesday in St. Louis when the Blues got a six to five overtime win over the Vancouver Canucks and St. Louis took the lead in the second period that was by three goals, but Vancouver was able to fight their way back into the picture. Jacob Verana nutted the overtime winner just 28 seconds in during his 12th game with St. Louis this season. Now, both of the teams are tied right now with 74 points in the West, but they're both out of the playoff picture. However, Vancouver is 7-2-1 in their last 10 games, and that one coming from this game, they've really done well under new head coach Rick Tockett. Here, Chris Kerber call the overtime winner now. Is going to drift back and he's got some speed. He can fly up to the red line. Brings it in over the blue line, leaves it for Shen. Into Verana. He scores! Bring out the Zamboni. Overtime game winner, Yakub Verana. 21 seconds into overtime, and the Blues skate away with a 6 5 win on home ice tonight. Despite getting the first lead in the game, the Florida Panthers had to fight back to force overtime for a 3-2 win against a tough Toronto Maple Leafs team on Wednesday. Alexander Barkov had a great play into the zone and found Brandon Montour, who put it in the back of the net, 1 minute and 41 seconds into overtime. He now has the most points in a season by a Panthers defenseman, with 63. And he also has the most game-winning goals in a season by a Panthers defenseman. Now, Florida is just one point short out of the playoff picture in the East behind the Pittsburgh Penguins, who have 82 points. Listen to the call from Doug Pleggins. Barkov with Montour, Barkov left circle walks in, front of the net, Montour, scores, top shelf, and the Panthers win it in overtime, 3-2 the final here in Toronto, they tie it late in regulation, they win it in overtime, and the Panthers are back to within one point of a playoff spot, with a come from behind overtime win here tonight at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, Brandon Montour finishes it off, 3-2 your final score. And the Minnesota Wild continue their hot streak of 7-1-2 in their last 10 with a three-game win streak now after taking down the Colorado Avalanche on Wednesday 4-2. They're now three points ahead of Dallas and Colorado in the Central with 97 points. Frederick Gaudreau had two shorthanded goals in this game for his 15th and 16th goals of the season, and he's the first player in franchise history for the Wild with multiple shorthanded goals in a game. It was also his first goal that happened while Colorado was on a power play off a takeaway from Kale McCarr. And then on the back end with goaltender Philip Gustafson, he had 42 saves for the Wild in the net, and he has 20 wins on the season now. And then also, Ryan Hartman tallied an assist as a part of his 500th career NHL game. Joe O'Donnell has the call of Goudreau's first goal.
1: the car right point to McKinnon off the one draw. Rister blocked by Brodine, left him hobbling, tipping it ahead Freddy Freddie Goudreau. He's got a shorthanded break. McCart trying to catch him. Goudreau protecting him with a shot. He scores!
0: Freddie Goudreau! Shorthanded! And the Wild have a 3-1 lead! Unbelievable. Now, when you look at the NHL playoff picture, there have been five teams who have already clinched their spots, all of which are in the Eastern Conference, and three of those teams have point totals over 100 right now. Those teams include the Boston Bruins with 119 points, the Carolina Hurricanes with 103, the New Jersey Devils with 100, the New York Rangers with 98 And then the Toronto Maple Leafs also with 98. Now the Vegas Golden Knights could be the first team in the West to clinch a playoff spot. And that would come tonight if they beat the San Jose Sharks in any fashion. The Bruins can also clinch the president's trophy with a win over the Columbus Blue Jackets in any fashion. And they would also get the number one seed in the East if they are to win tonight. It's been a busy day, but it's also opening day in Major League Baseball, and I'm excited to welcome on Erica Weston for a baseball-hockey crossover interview looking at our neighbors down the street. The Angels begin their season in Oakland today, so Erica shares more on what she's expecting from the team this season, plus more on her time filling in on a Ducks broadcast earlier this season. Take a listen. Let's welcome on to Light the Lamp Now, Bally Sports West host and reporter for the Angels, Erica Weston. Erica, happy opening day. What are the emotions you're feeling right now?
1: (laughs) Thank you. Um, Definitely a lot of excitement. Um, I think there's a lot of good reason for Halos fans to be excited. So we're excited to be a part of it. Um, You know, there's Really no other tradition like opening day in baseball. Um, it's amazing. Games are already in progress today. So a lot of anxious, excitement, nervousness, anticipation, all of the feels. Just can't wait to get going.
0: And this will be your second season with the Angels. What have you learned from your first year that you're taking into this year and uh, you're looking forward to? Um, the things.
1: Probably the top two things that I learned is that Halo's fans are very passionate about their teams, and I appreciate that. And the second thing is, you can never talk enough about Shohei Otani and Mike Trout for <laughs> obvious reasons. Um, again, lots of history with those two leading into this season, record breaking performances for probably both of them. I know Shohei was the one who, you know, is obviously doing things that people have never seen before, but. Um, for me, that was last year was the most games I've ever covered in my six years of major league baseball experience. So on the personal side, there's a lot of, um, you know, figuring out what worked for me and what didn't as far as how to be most efficient in doing my job. But the most important thing is to cover our teams in the best way we possibly can Mm -hmm. and be passionate and let fans know that we're fans with them as well. So while they might be cheering for them. So are we, and it makes our jobs that much more exciting. So, um, yeah, just really can't wait to get
0: going with everything that you mentioned. You figured out in your schedule and all that, having had such a long season last year and now going into this one, do you have any routines that you like to do or anything in particular that gets you set for game day? I got to move
1: in the morning. I got to do something (laughs) to get to get, you know, to get the day started. Mm -hmm. Um, It's obviously a little bit more difficult when we have day games. This opening series in in Oakland, we have Saturday, Sunday day games. So that routine kind of gets uh, shortened a little bit when we have an earlier start. Days are pretty long in baseball, as Mm -hmm. you know, on a a hockey day, it's pretty much the entirety of your day Uh, for baseball. We do have the mornings off, so it's not like we have to go and attend a morning skate if it is a night, a night game. So. I got to get moving. That's something that really helps me kind of set the tone for my day, whether it's walking around the city that we're in, getting in a good workout, even just going for a quick stroll to kind of explore, even if it's a city I've been to a lot of times, Mm -hmm. um, that for me really sets the tone and that it helps me kind of just focus in and the rest of the the stuff that I'm going to do for the rest of the day is going to be smooth sailing from there because I've got my mind right.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I have to ask too, since you've been to, I would assume a lot of the ballparks. Do you have a favorite? Yeah, there's actually one more that I have left to
1: visit. Okay. The Cin- Cincinnati is the only ballpark that I mm. haven't visited, which is kind of interesting considering I spent three and a half seasons in the national league central. So we go, we would go there all the time, but I just personally was never on that trip. Mm-hmm. Um, favorites are obviously, you know, the big ones Fenway park with all of the history. It's truly incredible. Wrigley is an amazing stop, the history with all these ballparks. Um, And I got to say, you know, there were some that surprised me this year, too, this past season, because there were American League parks that I never visited. And Mm -hmm. we visited uh, the ones in in the division quite frequently. I will say that the Astros in Houston do have a pretty good setting. Their fans are obviously very loud. I'm a big (laughs) fan of retractable roofs. So um, it was a great setting. But, you know, the go-tos are always places like, Fenway and Wrigley, mm-hmm. because the the history there is just so incredible, and you can feel it. You can feel the the history of the game within those walls. And while they are definitely on the smaller side as far as the facilities, unlike you know the modern day ballparks like the one in, in uh, Arlington with the Rangers, so it's a li- it's a little smaller, but it's just so cool, and you feel. um like you're really part of something because there's so many people that have done so many historic things, walk the same halls that you're now in. So I'm a big fan of the history when it comes to the ballparks.
0: When you look at this angels team this year, obviously talking about Shohei Otani, he's starting on the mound today and coming Mm -hmm. off a world baseball classic championship MVP and all of that. I mean, how much excitement is there continued into this season now around him and the expectations for him with the year? I think I
1: think it goes for Shohei, but I think it goes for a lot of the guys as well. The experience mm-hmm. that they had with – Mike Trout playing for Team USA with Patrick Sandoval pitching incredibly well for Team Mexico. And for Shohei, he got that taste of winning a championship. Granted, it was for his home country's team and not with the team he plays for in Major League Baseball. But I think the the main takeaway for those guys that did play in the WBC is the fact that they were able to play on a big stage and they did it well. Mm -hmm. When we talked to Mike Trout the other day during the freeway series, he was talking about how he texted manager Phil Nevin almost immediately following the final saying, I needed that. I needed that moment. I needed to be in the in the moment on that stage to experience the emotions. And I feel like that really lit a fire with the rest of the guys on the Angels team this year because they saw the intensity at which they were playing with and they craved to be a part of that. Shohei Otani is an animal when it comes to being competitive on a grand stage. That's very mm-hmm. obvious. He thrived in that moment. So for them, a lot of them, it was getting the taste of the championship for Shohei. It was pitching on a big stage for Sandy in which he successfully checked that box. Trouty wanted to experience those emotions. So it kind of exacerbated the expectations that the Angels have moving forward this season and that they are big and that they confidently can go into it knowing, hey, if we're playing at the end of October, we know we can be successful.
0: Now, there were a couple changes and additions in the offseason. How are you expecting to see the group gel together? Uh, that was probably one of the
1: biggest differences when we stepped into spring training mm-hmm. this past this spring. Was yes, there are a lot of new faces. Depth was really the key thing that they wanted to go after in the offseason. And they did so in the rotation, they did so in the infield, they did so in the bullpen as well. But the big thing that stuck out to me was that these are all good genuine humans that just so also happen to have the same passion for baseball and winning baseball games as everybody else that was already on the team. So they already all know each other. They get along great. They have one goal in mind and you got to get everybody on the same page. If you want to be able to be successful come the fall Mm -hmm. when it, when it really matters. And obviously getting off to a a hot start is very important um, because that will determine what the Halos do in July with the trade deadline or the, early early August, I think it is now, but they're all on the same page and they're very dedicated and very professional. And some of them have past relationships with manager Phil Nevin. And I think that means something to them. Mm-hmm. That's that's certainly something of value. Um, but I will tell you this the chemistry among the group is great. And again, they all have one goal in mind and they're very determined to get there this year.
0: Who is a player that you're going to be watching to maybe have a breakout season?
1: Uh, it's kind of tough because there's so many guys that Mm -hmm. already did have breakout seasons, but, uh, like last year, I think you could certainly point to Reed Detmers, the young lefty in our rotation, he threw his first no hitter, but I would even be willing to bet that he has an even bigger year this year based on the workload that we saw him throw in spring training. Mm -hmm. He is looking like a future ace. And there are a bunch of lefties in this rotation. And you have Shoei Otani, who's the only righty, and you have the veteran Tyler Anderson that they signed in the offseason, who's coming off an all-star campaign with the Dodgers to sort of help anchor that youth in the rotation. But I am I am certain that Reed Detmers and Patrick Sandoval, two young lefties in this rotation, are going to have breakout years. Uh, you know, they're... Probably two of the more underrated guys in baseball as far as pitching is concerned, which is remarkable considering Reed threw a no hitter in his first basically full season in Major League Baseball. But um, the big knock on the Angels in the past has been they'd be great if they only had some pitching while well, they did last year. That wasn't their issue. And they really do this year. So keep an eye on what that rotation looks like moving forward.
0: Well, ballpark food is always one of the topics around baseball. And I'm curious if ducks fans are heading to an angels (laughs) game, what food item would you recommend that they should try? It's been a
1: while since I've uh, dipped into the concessions at the <laughs> Big A, and I know at one of the final freeway series games we had a couple of days ago, they did showcase some of the new food, and the big topic, the big one that everybody was talking about after they had an opportunity to sample it was the... Uh, it was like the Korean cauliflower, the spicy, incredible mm. cauliflower dish kind of, you know, along the lines of buffalo cauliflower wings. Mm-hmm. So that was the big one as far as uh, the newcomers are concerned. I don't know. I'm simple when it comes to ballpark food. Just give me a hot dog and I'll be happy <laughs> with the coast of the stands. Maybe some popcorn, maybe some helmet nachos. Who knows? But I do know that the food um, at the Big A, they can't go wrong with anything. And there are always the smells of the, of Kathy's cookies wafting through the hallways when we're down by the clubhouse. So I got to get my hands on one of those one of these days soon.
0: I'm excited to head out to some games this year and see what I can find too.
1: There you go. Yeah. Let me know what you find.
0: Okay. <laughs> Well, going back a little bit to November, you were a part of a ducks game against the Detroit Red Wings. It was also hockey fights cancer night. Um, I'm curious on what that experience was like for you, because I know you do have a background in hockey and some passion there.
1: Yeah, you know, hockey will always have a special place in my heart. And I was so excited to be part of that broadcast and really honored to be part of the one on Hockey Fights Cancer Night. That is a very special Mm -hmm. night for every team in the league, the night that they get to have their Hockey Fights Cancer Night. So it was a really interesting dynamic for me because, as you mentioned, we had the Red Wings in town that night. And I covered the Blues for three seasons. I was with them during their Stanley Cup run. And there's a handful of Blues on the Red Wings this year. So it was really interesting seeing some familiar faces on the other side of the bench. Um, But again, it was such an honor to cover the hockey, uh, hockey for the seasons that I did. So I couldn't wait to jump back in and get there with the Ducks. And it was a great night. I'll forget that. An OT winner. It was so exciting. And I know that there's, You know, things have been tough this year. I understand that, but you got to go through these things to get to the other side. You can't underestimate the talent that there is on this roster and how they're going to be, you know, in a much better place moving forward, considering you have the young talent with the Ducks. But, um, yeah, I, it was just so much fun. I wish I could have gone to a few more games, rather it be as a fan or in a working capacity, because there truly is nothing like experiencing a hockey game in person. Mm-hmm. And it's weird for me saying that because I'm in a visual medium, right? My my profession is is on TV. But, uh watching it in person, the intensity, the speed. I know Mark Gubaza was down there a few days ago. He said (laughs) the same thing. It's just so much fun. And, um, yeah, I'll never forget that. And you know, who knows, maybe there's more ducks broadcasts in the future for me, but it was a really special night to be a part of for sure.
0: And one of the things too, is when you were in St. Louis, I mean, you saw some up and downs that the blues went through as well Mm -hmm. too. So you are familiar to that kind of organizational structure and what goes on in the season as the ducks have kind of had some of those struggles this year. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And you know, it's not always going to be that way and Mm -hmm. every team goes through its growing pains, but I think ducks fans have to be really proud of the fact that they have a couple of really talented guys to anchor the future of this team moving forward. And I love how passionate they are, but remember when the Blues won the Stanley Cup, and I don't want to make this about the Blues, this is all about the Ducks, but just speaking from the experience of being around a team that was struggling, there were high expectations going into that season. They were in dead last come January and then end up winning the Stanley Cup. It's a Hollywood script, right? That doesn't happen. That will never happen again. But I think Ducks fans should take solace in the fact that when things feel like they're completely, you know, we don't know how, how, how close are we ever going to be to winning another Stanley Cup. Um, it could be right around the corner. And mm-hmm. that's the best case scenario. And, and that should be something that they take solace in. So, yeah, you do go through these growing pains. There was a, a coaching change, the you know, seven games into the season when I was there. And Craig Berube took over and he's still there now. So, um, yeah, you go through it to get to the other side. And you got to rely on the talent that you have.
0: And we're getting to the point in the season where playoff hockey is right around the corner, and that's always one of the most exciting parts of the NHL season each year. So have you been able to keep your eye on any of that? I know you've probably been prepping so much with baseball, (laughs) but have you have you been watching anything or keeping up with the, the standings as we get closer to that? I
1: haven't a ton but the only thing that and for obvious reasons because Patrick O'Neill is part of our angels broadcast group and he's also up with the Kings too um so I hear a lot about the king stuff in my mm-hmm. in my ear as well I know things are gonna look really interesting there were a lot of different moves uh when everybody you know was traded at the deadline so things are gonna look really interesting come playoff time. That being said, there's truly nothing like playoff hockey. The intensity is through the roof. You have to like, you can't even take your eye off the game for one second, or you're gonna miss something. It's so intense. <laughs> right. I just, I love it so much. And um, obviously, one of the big storylines that you guys are probably all familiar with was Quickie going over to Vegas and and how that has played out. So who knows what some of these playoff matchups might look like with some guys going against their former club. So, um, I can't wait. I know everybody will be tuning in on our flights as we, you know, embark on this baseball season and seeing how things unfold with the, uh, with hockey playoffs, but again, nothing like it. It's so intense. I love it.
0: Erica Weston. Thank you so much for joining us on duck stream and happy opening day. Good luck this season. Enjoy it.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: And it's time for my final quack for this episode, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. Ducks versus Kraken tonight. Do not miss it. Listen right here on DuckStream at 6.30 p.m. for the pregame show with Steve Carroll, Dan Wood, and Josh Brewster. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I'm Alexis Downey. Come back again next time for more Hockey Talk on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.